listening to The Big Album Show with Paul Dillon and Dan O'Neill. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Big Album Show with me, Paul Dillon. And me, Dan O'Neill. Now, on this pod, it's a very, very, very special edition of this uh, of the show because we're discussing the fabulous, amazing 1972, which makes it 50 years old, uh, record by the Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street. Now, this surely ranks as not only one of the greatest albums by the Rolling Stones, but one of the greatest rock and roll albums of all time. My hot take down to lay it on the table from the get-go is that if you set out to make a rock and roll album, if you got all the ingredients that make a great rock and roll album and you boil them up and put them in a pot, you'd get Exxon on Main Street. From the very first track right to the very end, it just hits you with this so solidly intense songs. You know, everything is solid. It just, it all fits together. There's a wonderful package and it ranks Dan as one of the great rock and roll albums. You, you, there, is, there, there is so much to say and so much to discuss about it. But my general hot take is that this is a record that anyone who likes music should make sure they have in their collection. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, there's going to be hot takes flying tonight because this hot album... Hot takes galore. Hot takes galore because this album, um, it, it, it is just a treat from start to finish. And the thing about it is as well, it's a double album. So if you're listening on old school vinyl, it's four sides yeah. and... As you say, there's not a boring moment on nope. the whole album, and not a, no, it is not a one, not pure, a one. It is pure rock and roll. Like some of the other yeah. Stones albums, you know, they had um, more. You know, if you think of songs like um, uh, "Yesterday's Papers" or or or, yeah. or songs like that, or you know, they 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 had moments that weren't so rock and roll. But from the beginning to the end of this album. It's a feeling, you know, you feel like you are watching an incredibly uh, wonderful rock and roll occasion. And the album sounds live um, and, and which is is kind of ironic because, as we know, and I'm sure we'll get into, it's far from live because a lot of it was kind of mixed because it was so rock and roll that people were turning up at different times Um and weren't necessarily in the studio together at various uh, moments and uh, different parts of the album were recorded in different places um, because the band were literally in exile um, and, and so on. Um, but yeah, a, a rock and roll treat. Yeah, definitely, Dan. I mean, Jimmy Fallon described it as a, as a record that you would gift to uh, a music fan. And I think if something struck me about what Jimmy said because... Jimmy, as if I know him, Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> but, you know, the idea that this is a kind of a gift, a present. And, and I very much feel that. And I, I, I think that Jimmy, you know, Jimmy nailed it. It, it, is, it is a gift. <laughs> Jimmy uh, nailed it. To, yeah, Jimmy nailed it. He, he, yeah, <laughs> Jimmy nailed it. Yeah, yes, and Jimmy nailed it. <laughs> I mean, I mean J- Jimmy got it right. Jimmy nailed and Jimmy Fallon. But Jimmy, we don't know what Jimmy nailed thought of it, but we know what Jimmy Fallon thought about it. And it's... That's very much how I feel about it. I, I agree with your, your hot take. I mean, from you're absolutely spot on on that one. The, you stole my hot take right out of my mouth. Get my hot takes out of your mouth. <laughs> you know, the, the fact of the matter is, 
that it is a, it, it does sound very, very live, but equally at the same time sounds very, very complete. I want to talk a little bit. I mean, it's our pod so we can do it. We want to talk about my, my little relationship with the Rolling Stones. I, I got big into the Stones as a teenager. I always preferred the Stones to the Beatles. We have to put the two together. That's that's what it's all about, isn't it? Making comparisons. And I mean, the Stones for me, like Michael D, he, Michael D prefers the Stones as well to the Beatles. And I, and, and I mean, I think if you, in, in music, you know, when you look back, they're they set i mean who who invented it all is we, we haven't got time to track it all back but the stones have written a, a chapter in the history of rock music and in a way they are the quintessential rock band so again we haven't got the time to track every bit of the history but you know they start off in the early 60s very heavily influenced by uh, black american blues music and soul and gospel and they bring all that into those small london clubs and if you want the london years is the compilation where you'll get all that together nice and well packaged as well that's a great record to start with if you're if you don't have a huge familiarity with the rolling stones and you'll get the the blues influence of the stones but when when they, they were, of course, perceived as a big threat to the establishment and this got fades back into this idea, which is now now broadly dead, I think. But that rock music is somehow some kind of threat to the establishment. Uh, it was certainly viewed like that in the 60s with the Rolling Stones and, of course, the Stones strong association with sex and drugs and rock and roll. It very much they, they, they very much were, as I said, a kind of quintessential rock band that set the pace and set the tone. Uh, for so many others now they're a band that by the time of course that 1972 came along we, we always say 72 eggs on main street the stones as you know dan it's not exactly the full story i mean there's a this record is at least three years uh, in the making it goes back to earlier sessions and so on of course in 1972 they were in france in the set of france using the mobile studio and they were there, of course, because of Harold Wilson, perhaps the greatest leader the, the British Labour Party ever had. He won four elections, but one of the elections he won, uh, there was a the big, of course, talk about tax and commitments and tax. When the Rolling Stones hit tax difficulties, because of course they had a huge tax bill to pay because the six, they, I mean, they said that they, they didn't know that their management, these huge stories here would be here all night going into them. So we have to review them quick and fast because we want to get on to the, to the meat and drink of the record. But the Stones had financial difficulties. Uh, they had an accountant who, according to them, uh, hadn't been doing their tax properly. So they had a huge tax bill. They paid the tax bill. Um, but there was a big problem. By the time Harold Wilson uh, uh, was done with the Stones and everyone else, you were paying something like over 90 pence in the pound uh, when you got to the sort of the tax rate of the Rolling Stones. I say fair play, Harold Wilson. I'm going to put my cards on the table. I think he was spot on on that. You know, I'm with him all the way. I'm right there. 90. It should have been I'm sure 95. you'd love that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, I'm you know? sure you'd be delighted to pay that on your own wage back and forth. Yeah, well, well, no, but I mean, not for the ordinary workers, but when it gets to the multimillionaires, <laughs> they got to pay 90, at least 90 pence out of the pound. But anyway, There's different ways to skin a cat. In, in, indeed, and they skin theirs out in France as tax exiles, hence, you know, exile mm. on Main Street. And you get the impression, okay, so start with the title, the idea of exile on Main Street. I'll tell you what that conjured up for me when I first heard it. The idea of a band who had been in the mainstream and then were... Go, just going off it's like making exile on main street now again how i mean that that was my interpretation of them at the time but they, they created that incredible record and that strong association with the set of france now one of the things is when i, I got huge into the rolling stones uh, as i said in my teens and it was done by tape at that time so a friend of mine uh at the time he he taped his favorite rock and roll 
songs from the from the Stones and gave them to me in, in a tape form. You know, you make a little mix, a little mix, and it had Jumpin' Jack Flash. It had Satisfaction. It was very much the mainstream rock uh, hits of the Stones of the '60s. But before I discovered Exile on Main Street, I discovered Beggar's Banquet. I discovered Let It Bleed. I discovered. Um, a whole heap of other Stones records before I discovered this one. And it wasn't initially my favorite one. I, I always love some of the kind of the, 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 you know, I love some of the slower, more acoustic Stones music. But as soon as I discovered this one, this is the one really that will take your breath away just in terms of its pure, it's majestic. It is absolutely brilliant. And of course, so much to say about it, Dan. So many of the songs have appeared in films and movies. You know, so much to say about the, 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 you know, how it was put together. But I hope maybe I've done a little bit of a review there about how I relate to the Rolling Stones. How about you? What's your relationship with the Stones? Because, you know, are you a kind of a crank it up to, you know, I, I, I you know, do you do the air guitar, the Keith Richards air guitar? Dan, 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 Dan. <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, Keith Richards is one of the coolest guitarists that ever lived. And, uh, yeah, I love, uh, he, he's probably the reason why my favourite kind of guitar is the Telecaster and uh, when you listen to Keith Richards' guitar style, it has that, you know, you, you, you hummed uh, one of his classic riff, riffs there, they're choppy, they're straightforward and they have that Telecaster twanginess to them which I, I, I love and it's so, you know, fundamentally Keith Richards, he has his own, his own sound. And my relationship with the the Stones goes back to like you when I was about fourteen. Um, I got a um a, a, a voucher for Christmas, and I went into uh, Terror Records above Easton's on O'Connell Street in Dublin, and I bought the album Between the Buttons, um, mm. by the Rolling Stones, which is one of their 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 um Terrific albums record. from the the mid sixties. Yeah, really good. Really, it's actually I think one of their underrated records. Yeah. Like it normally doesn't get a a massive shout out like the album we're discussing tonight but i think there's some amazing amazing songs on it uh, maybe another night we'll, we'll discuss that album but that was my first introduction to the rolling stones and then i had uh later on i bought you know a best of the rolling stones from their kind of post 1970s uh period well 70s onwards period and the weird thing about the rolling stones is when you get a rolling stones best of album generally they are split because all their music after yeah. this yeah. album, they owned yeah. the, they owned more of the rights to and so on. Right. And the, the the music from the nineteen sixties, the uh, person you referenced, um, who they thought was paying their tax bill and so on, owns a lot of the rights to that music. So the Stones seem to differentiate the music in terms of how they package it. And um, the interesting thing you mentioned about the Beatles versus the Stones thing, I think that comes from. The, you know it was created back in the 1960s to market boat bands yeah, the, course, the, yeah. the management of boat bands realized that when you had this tension when you had the kind of good guys versus and, and the bad guys that it would sell more records but really i think they're absolutely different bands and the rolling stones of course had a much much longer career than the beatles so the album we're talking about tonight for instance was released two years after the Beatles broke up. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the Rolling Stones' best music, arguably, came post-Beatles, you know? So, so and, and it, uh, for me, they're really, really different bands. And I know we always compare them um, because they're kind of set up to be compared. But I, I, th I think they're very different bands. I love the bit you, you, you mentioned about um, the Rolling Stones being a threat to the establishment. 
And I see the Rolling Stones effectively as one of the first British punk bands. And it comes out in this album, right? When I, mm. when, if you listen to this album and you just think of what was to come, uh, you know, six or seven years later in terms of British punk with, you know, the Pistols and the Clash and the Buzzcocks and... Uh, people singing in British accents, slurring their words and, 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 and playing in a, you know, a rock and roll way, um, kind of three chords and a truth style. A lot of those elements are in this album. You know, it does sound quite raw. Jagger's vocals sound quite raw in parts of this album. Um, and, and you can definitely see the foundations of punk being laid out both in their style and in their substance in terms of the music um so that's one hot take i'd certainly have with regard to kind of the 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 style and 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 you know this album was recorded in quite a punk rock way as you say they were in exile because of the whole tax situation um and you also had like the strangest of characters popping by uh, the studio which I believe was um, in um, Keith Richards house um, uh, definitely for part of the recording in, in France um, but you had the likes of William Burroughs who famously wrote the book uh, Naked Lunch and books like Junkie um, uh, who, who, who was fond of the old uh, intoxicants and you also had the likes of John Lennon popping in um, during various different stages um, and of course, the Rolling Stones end up getting in trouble um, during the recording of this album for drug taking um, because the French authorities, uh, I don't know the ins and outs of the case, but but uh, let's say they were they're almost exiled from France. Um, so exiled from being exiled um, yeah, at one point. It, it, it's interesting. There was that trouble. And of course... The, the Stones did have a relationship with the law that the Beatles certainly never did have. And we, we, we for whatever reason, were hard word almost to compare the two of them. Um, I mean, there was a point in this in the mid 60s where a number of them were, were in prison at the same time. Uh, Jagger famously was arrested um, in entering in, in, in America with uh, on, on, and held on marijuana charges. And throughout his life, had some difficulty getting into America. He, get, he gets held when he's going, going through airports. And so on. So there was that relationship. And I, I, I don't entirely agree with your hot take in the sense that I don't think Jagger really ever was he singing in his accent because for me he's kind of singing in a sort of American accent, you know. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm tempted to, but then that it would uh, yeah maybe our, you're right. our, our, our listeners. But you are mm-hmm. right in the sense that if the first few tracks for the beginning of the album, um, which, which um you know rocks off, uh, you can hear. That, that that riff is quite punkish actually and i do believe that for example you can obviously see the punk influence on something like the ramones from something like exile on main street you can you know mm. that they were listening to it you know that they were taking it on now mm. if i was to say my top tracks never an easy choice to make but we do it on the big album show as a kind of a hook to discuss the record right so my three tracks tumbling dice it has remained a core in the Rolling Stones uh, live set. So, for example, the, the show they just did last night in Madrid, last night as we record this pod, they have Tumbling Dice. The only song, the only track off Exile on Main Street that made it onto the set list is Tumbling Dice. So that, that goes there for me. I'll get back maybe to why in a moment. I absolutely love, um, 
I think Let It Loose is just <laughs> just so good. And it's so good in The Departed. Martin Scorsese using The Departed. Great track. The other track that I really love is Shine a Light. Uh, I, I mean, it's never easy to choose a top three. They'd be mine. How about yours, Dan? Yeah, well, I I agree with you on uh, Tumbling Dice. And again, I'll come back to all these in a moment. Um, Rocks Off is one one I like. And, and uh, I'll get into more detail in a while. But to, to, to quote you, uh, how you start an album is very very important and i think it, it's it's started really really well and then happy is another song yeah, um, that i really like I, i'm gonna go with tumbling dice for, for for a moment i mean tumbling dice still gets a hell of a lot of radio play and it's you you can you know when you hear it it's it's a, it's, it's a real attention grabber I, I like the lyrics because i think they reveal a lot about where the band were at the time. Uh, so Jagger sings, Honey, got no money. I'm all sixes and sevens and nines. Say now, baby, I'm the rank outsider. You can be my partner in crime. And it's a very typical Mick Jagger. It's a very typical li- uh, lyric. It's a very it's very typical of, of his singing style. And it's just a great, uh, I think it's four minutes, 20 seconds, four minutes, 30 seconds. It's just a really, really, really good uh, solid rock track that you can listen to again and again and again a, a, a track whose influence you can hear I, I mean you can hear it in so much and one of the things was I mean people often think Oasis Beatles but Oasis Rolling Stones because don't forget Live Forever is more or less a straightforward I mean it's the first cousin uh, of of Tumble and Dice and there's a great bit about 320 when you know the energy of the song comes down and mm. you know there's this bit you got me rolling and it's just you know so so good and the back and vocals just a great, great track. Now, I'm going to go with Let It Loose for my second track. And one of the things I love about the Rolling Stones music is how atmospheric it is and how good it sounds when it's used on film. And of course, Martin Scorsese used it really well. And he does Gimme Shelter into the part and he does this into the part as well. And people are familiar with the, the part of the movie. There's a great movie scene where... Um, uh, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio gets introduced to uh, Jack Nicholson Um um, and they're in this bar and uh, the track is in the background and it's just so good it just sets just such a tremendous atmosphere it's a kind of what you might call a, a just a dirty rock and roll song but it's so so good and I mean all I can say about it is it's just incredibly easy to listen to um, mm. and it, it, it's just you know so that's a magic tune now we wrote a little t- tune that I really really like is Sean Light I first became familiar with Sean Light on the uh, Rolling Stones acoustic record Stripped uh, which was released in 94, if memory serves me correctly. They kicked off that record with um, with, with a Rolling Stone, a cover of the Bob Dylan uh, song. So I, I, I think it's a really, really good song. I've, I've always really loved it. And for me, and, and I think it's important that we cover it, I think it's a little, um, it's one of the sadder parts of the Rolling Stones. I mean, there's a lot of tragedy around the Rolling Stones. Oh, my God. Um mm. And, of course, Brian Jones is the great tragedy uh, of the Rolling Stones. I mean, Brian, of course, he, he was he was always my favourite Rolling Stone. He was he looked different to the rest of them with his blonde hair. But I mean, the Rolling Stones was his idea. Now, Jagger never credits him with this, uh, hasn't, uh, in, in, in doesn't in interviews and so on. But, uh, I mean, it was it was his idea. It was his band. And, of course, he, he died so tragically and so, so very young and uh, in just a terrible, terrible circumstances. But if you look at the lyrics on that song, you can see uh, the nod to Brian Jones. And um, I, I just think 
it's 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 got a quality to it. I'm not going to say a sadness, but it's it's just got this certain uh, it's just got this certain you know it's got the certain it's it's it stands out as quite the, it, it, the gospel sound of it. Dan, of what I'm trying to get at here is that there's a bit of spirituality here, and I think uh, I like to think anyway that um, it's the kind of Rolling Stone song that's more comforting more warm and uh, it'll put you in good form anyway the lyrics he says saw you stretched out in room 1009 with a smile on your face and a tear right in your eye oh, oh couldn't seem to get a line on you my sweet honey love barber jewelry jangling down the street making bloodshot eyes at every woman that you meet could not seem to get a high on you my sweet honey my my sweet honey love and you know, I, I I think that that's about Brian Jones, and I think that that's a, a comment that that other others have made. Um, but it's just a great track, and I love that gospel part of it, and I love sort of how comforting it sounds. Um, and so yeah, that's my 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 top three. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned the fact that Jagger doesn't um re- really really credit Jones with 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 the foundation of the Stones and. Uh, that kind of seems to be a little bit of a common trait with Jagger. Like for instance, he um he it, it, it it's commonly kind of it, it it's commonly known that this album is very much a kind of a Keith Richards album. Like Keith Richards is seen as being at the top of his career at at, at the also kind of at the bottom as well because he's obviously going into um the height of his drug use which isn't good you know but in terms of his songwriting and everything he was really top of his game here and funny enough this is the album that Jagger says he doesn't really think is as good as some of the other Stones albums I wonder is there a connection there in yeah, in, of course. in that um, but really really good good picks Paul um, so as I said Rocks Off is definitely one of, of my top tunes what a brilliant way to start an album. Um, I think the vocals are, are superb. You know, Jagger, that that quiet part of the, 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 the song um, that you mentioned, like Jagger is right up against the mic and he's almost kind of whispering the, the words in a kind of a croaky vocal fry way. Um, which is really unusual way to, to, to sing a song. And then the rest of the song is quite... It, 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 he sings quite powerfully um, I love the horns in the song I think they really bring the, the, the song from being a, a, a great song to a fantastic song um, and then one of the things that struck me in the song was just the, the, the bad word in it because uh, <laughs> um, and, and that got me thinking I was like I wonder it, because this was 1972 um I was thinking to myself I wonder when using bad language in popular music became popular um because I was thinking it must have been around this time because you had this song and um, then in 1970 you had um working class hero by John Lennon which has where he drops the f bomb and that and then we mentioned the kind of punk influences um so MC5 who are a band who are also credited with um, being um, really influential in terms of setting the scene for punk in Kick Out The Jams at the beginning of that song um, the, the lead singer drops the F-bomb but it goes back further than that uh, I, I kind of fell into a, 
uh, one of these kind of internet holes today and, and did a bit of research and um one of the most interesting songs I found was a song from 1938 um, called Old Man Mose by Eddie Dukin. And uh, I, I, I might be able to, I'd say the, the copyright's up on it, so I will probably be able to throw a little bit of a clip into the, into the episode so people can listen to it. But uh, basically they, they, they try and uh, get away with the fact they use a very bad word by, by trying to claim they're saying the word bucket. But uh, listen to it and you'll hear they're clearly not saying bucket. Oh, fuck it. Um, but it, it, it's just a, a funny example. So that's Rocks Off. Then Tumbling Dice. Love it. I love the gospel um, backing vocals in it. I yeah, think. Uh, yeah, it's it, 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 it's yeah terrific. Spiritual, beautiful. Um, and... One of the weird choices in terms of the production of this song and and actually most of the other songs on the album, but I particularly noticed with this um, song, is that the vocals are so far back in the mix. Like, they, you, you, you can sometimes you can barely hear Jagger's vocals because, like, nowadays, if, if when, when you listen to popular music, the vocals are right up front, you know, you can hear, like, the, 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 the main feature of the music, you can hear every word, um, and then the, 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 the music in the background very much is supporting the vocals. But the thing about the way that song was mixed and a lot of the other songs on the album is that the vocals are kind of on par with the, the music. And I think that in this context, it gives that live sound that we were yeah. talking about yeah, to the song. Um, but it's, it is interesting. Like I would, I'm sure, you know, the internet being the internet, I'm sure some audio genius has created a mix where the where the vocals are much more up front and I'd love to hear it and hear what the song sounds like um, like that but it's 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 a fantastic song then happy is another one where the vocals are really interesting mainly for, for because it's Keith Richards doing the the lead singing on this one obviously with with Jagger backing him up a good bit um for the the chorus and uh, some of the verse but the 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 the, the main bit of the singing is Keith Richards it's um probably one of the most pop sounding songs on the record I would wager. Um there's a little bit of the kind of Motown vibe going on it going on during the song. Um and it's um actually the the album's producer Jimmy Miller playing the drums on it and actually he played the, some of the drums elsewhere on the album as well. Like he played the outro to um Tumbling Dice um and uh that's a weird thing about the album like i said there was people coming and going throughout the recording of the album and uh, different musicians at different times playing different bits and pieces and 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 that went for all of the instruments including the drums even though obviously as we know the rolling stones had one of the greatest drummers ever in the form of charlie watts but 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 even the drums, there was different musicians playing at different times just because it, it was so kind of rock and roll in the way it was yeah. recorded. Um, so they're my, my, my top three. The Rolling Stones are interesting, Dan, because they, I, I, I met a guy who, who met them a number of times. He, was, he used to have a record shop up in a, a kind of a market in Inchicore. 
Now, now that I say it, I'm not sure if any, any of this is true, what he told me, but he used to, he, he said he'd met them a number of occasions and that they were very cool and chilled out and he used to say, oh, we're not like the other guys, you know, we, we, we you know, they were very friendly to other musicians and so on. And of course, there was that famous story about them playing in a, in a, in a pub in, in Nace, I think, in, in County Kildare. Um, and of course, Ron Wood is often seen around the, the place. Um, Ron Wood, who recently marked his 75th birthday, so happy birthday to him. Now, look, I mean, to wrap it up, because I want to say something about the big album show as well, Dan, because we have reached a little milestone and we want to have a little chat about that. But listen, this album is I'm enthusiastic about this album. I'll always be enthusiastic about this album. We've got to do more Rolling Stones uh, albums on the big album show. But for me, look, I mean, I'm going to go and give it a big, warm nine out of ten and not taking marks off for any particular reason. So they needn't worry. Um, I just it's very hard to give ten out of ten. How do you feel about it, Dan? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Nine out of ten for me. Um, and maybe the thing about this album is the more you listen to it, yes, the greater it gets. So ask me in another six months what I'd give this album. Maybe I'll give it a ten out of ten because the, every time I listen to it, it grows. It grows on me more and more and more. Absolutely. Now, speaking of something growing on people more and more and more, we want to thank all our listeners because we have recently marked our twenty fifth. Uh, recording uh, on the big album show so we've done 25 episodes and we're really grateful to everyone who has listened in so far we've got big plans for the pod including loads of very interesting guests coming up in the weeks and months ahead um and i think you're going to enjoy that i'm going to like who we have on but please we're asking you a little special favor that if you're listening to this pod if you wouldn't mind if you're not already following us on twitter at the big album show or facebook or instagram please do follow us and please just promote us with one person or one group if you could reach out to people and just get the word out there about the pod because we do get great listeners and we're really grateful but we want to make sure that we stay right up there with a good position in the charts so thank you very much for your support but please do uh back us we're not going to ask for any money or anything like that you need no, no need to worry but we would appreciate your support wouldn't we dan if you like the pod please do give us a little bit of a uh, bit of support absolutely and next week on the show we have a very very or or in two weeks time i always say next week but we do it on a on a, every time. two weeks uh, next time on the show we have a really really interesting uh band a band who are famous for singing asquelge in irish but they're a band called imley or imley um, and um they are very very interesting if you haven't heard of them between now and the next uh, uh episode listen to their new album false jock and let us know what you think um, because it's well worth a listen to and I think you're going to love it so until next time Slán Slán Awalia The Big Album Show is the big show where Paul Dillon and Dan O'Neill cast our minds back at some of the greatest records of all time we're talking about the albums that define our greatest bands the albums that have been the soundtrack to many of our lives the albums that we still listen to day in day out from Marvin Gaye to the Manic Street Preachers the Strokes to Sinead O'Connor, Joni Mitchell to the Fugees. We've got you covered on the big album show. We look back at the albums that mean so much to so many people and tell you why they mean so much to us. The big album show stands for, I think, community, funnily enough, because what you often get when you record a pod is this big emotional response uh, from fans of the bands. The value of the big album show 
is that it connects with people for whom music and for whom albums is, is really, really important. So check out the show, listen back to our episodes. We know you'll enjoy them. Catch us from wherever we get your pods and follow us everywhere at The Big Album Show. You're listening to The Big Album Show with Paul Dillon and Dan O'Neill.